Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. One of the downsides of a holiday, well, there are very few, believe me. One of the downsides is that in the few days where you and I don't get to chit-chat each day, a lot of news happens. Yeah, and we miss out on chances to talk about things. I remember it was uh, just a week ago today, after the program had wrapped up, you and I said our Merry Christmases and went our ways to celebrate with our families, uh, within our same household, of course. Well, there was some news that came out later that evening that President Trump had offered a handful of pardons. And I say offered, I use that word offered deliberately, and I'll explain why in a little bit. But uh, what he had done was he pardoned a number of people to to Utahns. And and I'm sure you've uh, combed through many of these details. You know that uh, Utah State Representative Phil Lyman uh, was one of the two Utahns to receive a pardon from President Trump. Uh, Representative Lyman's uh, crimes dating back to 2014 when he, as a San Juan County commissioner, led a a protest of ATV riders through uh, a portion of southeastern Utah. There's a canyon there, home to some cliff dwellings, which had been off-limits by uh, federal officials to motorize traffic. And, well, that led to some uh, federal charges, and uh, he was ultimately convicted, and uh, there was a fine, I believe, he had to pay. And, well, what we learned last Tuesday was that President Trump had uh, given him a pardon. Representative Lyman, you have been absolved of your wrongdoing. That same evening, Phil Lyman took to Facebook and wrote a a relatively lengthy, for Facebook standards at least, a relatively lengthy comment on having received the pardon from the president. I'll read you a portion of it, uh, and then we'll jump to the end. There's something I want to point out. It writes, or it reads rather, again, this is Phil Lyman, who uh, represented for the state of Utah. He received a pardon from the president. He writes, Today is an important day for my family and me and for rural Utah. To say the last five years were difficult would be an understatement. My family has been my salvation in the darkest hours. My wife Jody is my partner and friend. I am blessed and grateful beyond words for her support and for her resolve to always, always, always do the right thing regardless of the consequences. My adult kids are people of capacity who live by their convictions as well. Then he talks about false narratives in the media media, which have been damaging not only to me but to the truth, he writes, uh, our protest here in San Juan County was not about a road or about ATV rights. We protested a federal agency that wrongly and maliciously raided our community. Anyway, th- th- these again are the words of Phil Lyman, who 
just a week ago today, received a presidential pardon from President Trump. I'm going to jump uh, down to, well, here's where he specifically thanks President Trump. He writes, I am deeply grateful to President Trump. Today he righted a wrong. People should not fear prosecution when they have done nothing illegal, and I hope my experience brings attention to the persistent attacks. Anyway, uh, his thanks continue in the final paragraph. He writes, my most sincere thanks, listen to the names in this list, my sincere thanks go also to Senator Mike Lee, former Congressman Jason Chaffetz, State Senator Dan McKay, former State Representative Mike Noel, my friend and advocate Gerald Perkins, and to Commissioners Darren Bushman, Leland Pollock, Mark Whitney, and the rest of the posse, and to so many others for always being on my side. He then writes, I will say more soon, but for now, I am truly grateful. We've been back and forth with Representative Lyman, hoping to uh, to speak to him here on the program. And uh, honestly, we are all well aware of the case that you know ultimately led to his pardon. My, my intention in connecting with Representative Lyman is not to uh, relitigate anything or to even get into a, a political discussion. Right? Uh, what what intrigues me, and you can probably guess this is the process. What is it like? Imagine you. Imagine you have committed some kind of crime. Uh, Maybe you're incarcerated. Uh, Maybe you have the burden of a heavy fine on your back. A heavy fine which likely will follow you for the rest of your years. What's it like when you get either a phone call or an email or a certified letter in the mail? I I have no idea. How is it communicated to you that the President of the United States has decided to use one of his most broad and sweeping powers to make right, well, I shouldn't use that phrase, but to pardon you, right? No one's saying that you know the convictions of the past are wrong, but rather that uh, you're simply, by will of the President and whim, free and clear. Do you get a letter? I wondered uh, what what that would look like. And so that br- leads me to the uh, second individual who received a pardon here in the state of Utah. This is uh, a local music producer, Weldon Angelos, uh, someone who, you know, it's no secret, has, has had a, a troubled past, uh, a criminal background, selling marijuana to undercover agents, having drug paraphernalia, evidence of money laundering, and firearms in his home when police officers conducted a a search with a warrant. Well, uh, for those crimes, uh, he was, for those charges, he was convicted and sentenced to uh, a long time in prison. And a long time, 55 years was his sentence. Would have been 78 when he got out. And, well, after some interactions with the offices of Senator Mike Lee and others, uh, the, the pardon has come about. Now, it was a few years ago that, thanks to another effort, he was released from uh, prison early. Conservative politicians at that, Norm Bangeter, uh, Jake Garn, and Bonnie Raitt got herself involved. Liberal activist Bonnie Raitt and musician Daniel Ellsberg. Others uh, persuaded a federal court to reduce his sentence. But that was merely a reduction in sentence. What about, what about the pardon? 
here in front of me, I have the document he received. Now, this was my ultimate question. What, if you are on the receiving end of a presidential pardon, how do you, like, demonstrate that? How do you prove to the world later that, yeah, I've been pardoned? What's the paperwork? Here it is in front of me. It reads from the top, Executive Grant of Clemency, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, to all to whom these presents shall come greeting. I read that word for word. I, that's a, a, a use of English of which I am not familiar. To all to whom these presents shall come greeting. Be it known that this day I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, pursuant to my powers under Article 2, Section 2, Clause 1 of the Constitution, have granted under unto Weldon H. Angelotes a full and unconditional pardon. It talks then about his, uh, his conviction and his sentencing. I'll jump down to, I hereby designate, direct, and empower the office of the pardon attorney as my representative to sign a grant of clemency to the person named herein. The office of the pardon attorney shall declare that its action is the act of the president being performed at my direction. And then in testimony whereof, I hereunto sign my name, blah, 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 blah. There's a presidential seal, uh, also the seal of the Department of Justice, and the uh, exaggerated signature of President Trump that you have come to know. And so this will, I presume, hang on the wall maybe of uh, Mr. Angelos and also all those others who have received pardons will have this document. Now, everything that I've shared with you thus far has been lead up to something I discovered today. As I was reading through the, the Twitter comments, you see Mr. Angelos, after receiving this grant of clemency, this pardon from the president, he posted it to Twitter. And as I have scrolled through the replies, I see that there were some, I presume uh, to be you know, not too supportive of President Trump, uh, asked why he wouldn't reject a pardon. You see, Mr. A- Mr. Angelos had been released from prison. Uh, you know, he's gotten into the music business. He has a family. Uh, why not reject the pardon as some kind of statement? And that led me to ask myself, can an individual reject a pardon from the president of the United States? And why would they do that? Well, it turns out not only can you reject a pardon from the president, it has happened in the past. And that rejection led to a court case that made its way all the way to the Supreme Court. The implications are fascinating, and they come to today. They lead to today and may very well impact a decision on the part of President Trump whether or not to pardon preemptively his adult children and other members of his close circle. I'll explain what I found out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. You heard earlier in the program, we had a conversation about a pair of Utahns who found themselves on the receiving end of pardons handed down by President Donald Trump. We uh, continue that conversation looking back at history and the uh, the case of a man at the time, the editor of a, a newspaper, the New York Tribune, who refused to accept a presidential pardon from President Woodrow Wilson. Back in 1915, uh, fascinating story. I told you that we'd been back and forth with Representative Phil Lyman, one of the two Utahns to receive a pardon from President Trump just last week, and he joins us now. Re- Representative, sir, how are you? 
I'm good, Lee. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. I, I was checking the notes. I don't think you and I have uh, spoken since uh, late February, uh, and I realized that you were one of the last. Uh, you were one of the last guests to be here in studio uh, before before old Aunt Rona showed up. Oh and, yeah, and, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and rushed us was, all out of the building. That was the good old days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Feels like. Yeah. Years and years ago, really, just a few months. Uh, listen, yeah, you, things have changed. You received a, a pardon from the president. I want to. I want to learn about the process. How does that come about? What was the the first step towards uh, securing that pardon? Well, I mean, th- there's a lot of people that you can talk to and get a lot of different ideas. And I'd I'd, I'd asked around a little bit, and several other people that had advocated for me. Um, and then in October, when I was having some some major conflict with the U.S. attorneys and saw that it was nothing but a but a but kind of a witch hunt mentality, I thought I need to just wrap this up and get it done. So I paid off my fine, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to float this out there. And there is an application, and I filled out the application, and then you have to go and get some affidavits. And I asked uh, Senator Lee if he'd do an affidavit for me, and and without Senator Lee's engagement, this it would have been dead in the water. In fact, it was dead in the water. Uh, until Senator Lee kind of picked it up and said he would he would advocate for it. In a Facebook post uh, on, on the, the last Tuesday night, you you offered thanks to Senator Lee, also Congressman uh, Jason Chaffetz, and State Senator Dan McKay. Uh, talk to me a bit about their roles in this. Uh, so Jason Chaffetz, I, I'd also contacted him early on and ask if he'd, he'd write an affidavit. And, you know, the affidavit is a, it's a paragraph basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is why I think uh, that, that Phil should be pardoned. Uh, Dan McKay, uh, when I was going to uh, – when the, when the judge said, we're, you know, we want Phil to appear in person so we can incarcerate him and, and uh, take him into custody and incarcerate him for not giving his tax returns, which he had holding you – know, he was just holding in his hand – uh, Dan uh, McKay, Senator McKay, just contacted me as a friend and said, hey, do you need any help? And I said, well, yeah, I, I can't go in front of a judge and refer to him as your honor when he's dishonorable. And it would probably be better if you went and did this for me. So he did. And he represented me there. And then he, uh, you know, his 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 role was to go and tell the judge that Phil's paying off his fine and, you know, cool your jets and, uh, you know, maybe you should look at the law breaking on a part of the U.S. attorneys in this instead of constantly going after somebody who hasn't broken the law like they've done, you know, for the last six years. So so he was pretty indignant about it, saw the firsthand kind of what the corruption was with U.S. attorneys and the collusion that was going on there with the, with the judge and the attorneys. And, and he said, you know, you should be pardoned. And he called Senator mm-hmm. Lee. And anyway, so he kind of got the ball rolling as well. So that's a long story. But, yeah, Dan was was uh, kind of came in for the final push, and I don't think it would have happened without his advocacy as well. So. I see. So October, this whole effort kicks off. Uh, you, you have the affidavits, you have the form. Uh, imagine you sat down at the kitchen table and filled it out or something like that. Ultimately uh, made its way to the office uh, in the executive branch that handles these types of decisions. Did you at any stage in the process have, before a decision was made, ha- have direct contact with the, the White House? Is there someone from the pardons office that calls you for an interview or something? Well, there is the pardons office, and I don't know if that's, if that would be fair to say that's the White House. Um, but, sure. um, yeah, I sent in the application, and they sent back and said, eh, thanks, uh, you're, you need to wait until the five years expires, right. and you should, you should pay off your restitution, and you should continue to work to try to reintegrate into society, and, you know, good luck with, you know, all – it's like you, you didn't even read the application. So, right. I, so I, you know, sent back an email there and said, you know, the fact that you're saying I need to 
you know, continue to make my restitution payments. Obviously, you didn't look at it because I've made all my restitution payments. I've, and, and to try to become a, you know, a, a functioning member of society. I mean, I, I was county commissioner at the time and state representative now. I don't know what they – and so I was I, – I sent back a, you know, kind of a – a pointed email saying, I, I don't think you've read the application. I don't think that had anything to do with them picking it back up. I think, I think Senator Lee pulled it out of the dumpster and, yeah. you know, metaphorically speaking and, and, and got it, got it passed. But so, yeah, I did have communication with the, with the uh, pardons office, but it was, it was meaningless. United States, United States senators have a way of uh, motivating certain bureaucrats. Uh, how did you first receive word that a pardon uh, would be issued in your direction? I got a call from uh, from Jason Chaffetz, and he said he'd just gotten off the phone with the president, and and, and President Trump had tried to conference him and Senator Lee on a, on a on a conference call, and uh, but Senator Lee was flying, and, and and the story I got was that President Trump said, "I've got people here who have killed. I've got guys here that have killed 19 people asking me for a pardon." And Phil wrote his ATV somewhere. Can you? What's going on? Like, what am I missing here? What's what, what's what's happening? So, mm-hmm. he was confused by the whole, um, you know, kind of moronic uh, case himself. And Jason Chaffetz was able to shed a little bit of light. And then, yeah, and so he called me and said, "Hey, I think you're going to get get a pardon. So be prepared." And then it was about two and a half weeks later that, that I heard from the media. My phone just started kind of blowing up. And so the the and, official and announcement from the the White House. Uh, was made, I, I presume, like on the press site of WhiteHouse.gov or something like that. Your name is on right. it. Yep. Your phone blows up. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That's well, how. That's how it officially came out. So. What were, where were you? What were you doing at that moment? Um, I was just here at my office, uh, just here in Blanding, at my office working, and um, had some deadlines, so I just kept working on my working on my stuff. My my wife was out of town, um, so it was just yeah, I was just here in town by myself and. What was the? What yeah, was the that's, fr- how, that's how I went down. <laughs> what, what was the? Who, who'd you call first? Who, who's the first person you told after learning the news? I think I think uh, Senator McKay was. He was the first one to actually call me uh, with it, and then, uh, and and then I, you know, that was I think it was like at three thirty in the afternoon, and uh, I started responding to the text, and about one thirty that night, I finally left my office and said, "Yeah, I'm gonna have to resume this in the morning," but it was just, uh, you know. Tons of tons of uh, congratulations and well wishers, and uh, you know, I spoke with uh, Senator Lee and was texting him back and forth and trying to express my appreciation there. And uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of just a lot of communications and, and stuff, and it, and, it, and it lasted for a couple of days. What does this mean in terms of the the restitution that you paid? Do you? And this is just I, I'm unfamiliar with the mechanics of this. Uh, you you paid a fine. You were a fine was levied against you. Do you get that money back, or what happens with that? No, no, I, I mean, I, I don't think so. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a, it's, it, it doesn't, it's, it's not really looking back. It's really looking forward. The, the pardon is, uh, what, what's behind you is behind you. I don't, I don't see that it reaches back. If it does, that's great. I, I the, the restitution was that I, or that I paid the, the fine they paid was, uh, uh I guess it, it was, it was, it's, I don't know. It, it was, a, it was an erroneous. Erroneous damages. We proved that the BLM uh, did a study uh, vindictively, and then trumped up the, the fees on that, and that's what I paid them. And, and, and you know, it's, I, I call it blood money. It's because I come from Blanding, where where people have died 
at the hands of the BLM and and their shenanigans, and uh, and it's just more of the same. So so what, whatever I've done, I you know I didn't spend 15 years in prison like the other person that was pardoned sure. in Utah. I, uh, yeah, I. Mine is mine is a unique situation, and, and I don't I don't begrudge it. I just want to I just want to you know correct some of the things that brought brought this whole fiasco about. Well, listen, Representative Lyman, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for giving us a, a look uh, behind the scenes as to how a presidential pardon comes about. Uh, we we're very grateful to you for for your insight and sharing your experience with us. Thanks again. Okay, thankfully. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a break here in a, a moment. Fascinating stuff, right? You ever, uh, I, some of the things he shared with us, I had no idea. There's an application you fill out. You look for affidavits. Ultimately, he finds out via text message. Huh. Regardless of what you think about the, the matter at hand, uh, fascinating process nonetheless. Quick break. When we return, we're going to look at a Gallup study that asks America, who do you admire most? You might be surprised by the results. That's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.